0: Thank you Don and Alicia, and it was good seeing you this morning, I thought you sang very well. Okay, turn with me to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 7 to 10 this morning, as we are up to sermon number 10 of, um, of the series on the devil. John chapter 10, verse 7. Not loud enough? Is that better? Hello? Hello? Is that better? Yep? Okay. John chapter 10, verse 7. With me. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Let's uh, let's pray before we uh, look at the sermon. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your blessed word and we just thank you for this time and the freedom that we have to meet in this way. Father, even now that I'd I'd ask for your spirit to be working on our hearts, settling us, allowing us to be focused only on you, putting away the distractions from our minds of the week that's passed and seeking your will. I pray that every heart be laid bare before you now as we seek to understand your ways better. Father, to that purpose, I pray for me. I pray that you would bless me, that you would give me your grace, that I might preach the truth in love. And Father, in all things, I pray that as we complete this morning, this sermon, I pray that we would leave this place challenged and with a heart full of joy, knowing that the relationship we have with you is far greater than anything in this world. We thank you one, once again for this wonderful salvation which we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are many game shows on TV which you can spend your time relaxing and watching and doing. And, and uh, a lot of these game shows require picking something. You pick a door pick a box, pick a suitcase or a briefcase, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Now, almost inevitably, in all of these particular shows, all the doors look the same. All the boxes look the same. All the briefcases and all the envelopes and all the things generally look the same. And the reason for that is is that they don't want them knowing which way to generally go, all right? So... I, I have to laugh sometimes because my father's favourite show was that one with the, with the briefcase. What, sorry? My grandfather. What's it called, that show? Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal, that's right. Deal or no deal. So, and he's always arguing with them on the TV because he's saying, you're too greedy, you're too greedy, you should have taken the money a long time ago. What sort of stuff that? Anyway. So they, they pick a suitcase and it's funny, it's funny because people have this, this idea in their minds that, that somehow the, the one they're picking... Is somehow there's there's a reason, or logic behind it, but there's absolutely no reason or logic behind it because there's there's, there's nothing you can know. What's there's no a- actual logical reason for picking those particular things. There's just an illusion that one is that one is better. <clears throat> from a from a spiritual point of view, there is a door. So Jesus says, "I am the door." Okay, and he says. Um, I am the door, and if anyone, any man enters through this door, he finds life. He finds salvation, and he finds life more abundantly. So, we've been looking at a series on Satan. So, if you were Satan, and you knew there was one door, what would you try to do? If you did not want people to go through that particular door, what you would do is create as many doors that look as much like that one as possible to confuse people. Jesus is indeed the door through which we find salvation and life. And in this particular passage, Jesus says, all those who went before him, which is an interesting term. He goes, all those, all that, in verse 8, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. What does he mean by that, all that ever came before me? Well, you know something? There were plenty who came before Jesus who said that they were the Messiah. That they were the door. That they had the answers. And Jesus says, all those ones who came before me, they're liars. They're thieves and they're robbers. They presented themselves as messiahs, as the answer to what people needed. And mind you, still people are still doing it today. That's why the Apostle John says that many false Christs or antichrists have already gone out into the world. Even in his day, many were around who were pretending to be the ones who have the answers or to be that door through which people walk in which they can find life. But Jesus calls them thieves and robbers because there is only one door that God has made for us. And the reason he calls them thieves and robbers is because they're seeking to obtain something that is not rightfully theirs. The title and the people that come along with it. So Satan seeks to do the same today. And what we're going to do is discover how this thief, because it mentions this thief has come to steal, to kill and to destroy. We're going to see how that specifically refers to Satan and how he presents himself as an alternative he makes himself look like that door. He doesn't make him, his door doesn't have isn't colored red with a pitchfork uh, at the front of it. OK? He's not that stupid. Remember, we said that he's very intelligent. He's been around for long enough, and he knows our weaknesses, and last time we looked at how he exploits our weaknesses, and he knows what angle to come in at to take advantage of us. He presents himself as the alternative door through which you can find life today. And unfortunately, there are many people in this world who believe they've walked through that door, the right door. And now they're dealing with the consequences of it. Satan is in the business of counterfeit. He's in the business of copying what God has done and offering an alternative to God's door. From the garden, he presented himself as a suitable alternative to God. So he put on the veneer of truth and light. So when he approached Eve, he didn't say to Eve, I'm going to tell you something that's, that's not true now. He said, no, 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 God's lying. This is the right door to go through. God's holding back something from you. But you know something? He knows that the day you have this fruit, you will be like God's. And you won't die. Go through this door. This story is much better for you. So Satan is in the business of providing an alternative. And the alternative always looks good. It doesn't look bad. Don't ever think to yourself that Satan is silly enough to make something so obviously wrong that you will not be trapped by or that you will, won't be trapped by it okay and to give you an, I just want to give you an example of to the extent to which Satan has tried to counterfeit the whole of Christianity all right? there's a fellow called J Oswald Sanders some of you may know him he's an author been around for a long time. he went through a, he did a study through the Bible of all the ways and described how Satan counterfeits God and God's system. Just listen here. You. you don't have to turn to all these passages, but I'll just read through some of them, okay? Satan. Did you know that Satan has his own trinity? So God is a trinity, right? So we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who form one God, okay? And the Son is the Messiah of the world. Satan has his own trinity. He has himself, he has the beast and the false prophet. And those three work together. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll discover that those three act as a trinity in the world. Satan has his own church. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, he says that the, the Jesus says that there is something called the synagogue of Satan. So he has his own church and his own synagogue. He has his own ministers, his own pastors, his own pastors and teachers. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 and 5 tells us there are ministers of Satan. He has formulated his own system of theology. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul warns us that many people have started following the doctrines of demons. So he has his own doctrines. He established his own sacrificial system in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. The Apostle Paul then tells us that all Gentiles who sacrifice to idols are sacrificing to devils. So he has his own sacrificial system in place that has replaced God's system in the Old Testament. He has his own communion service, which we just had now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. Says that when people sit down at the, at the cup of, the, of, the, of Satan, they are sitting down, they are actually taking part of the cup of devils and are sitting at the table of devils. So there is a counterfeit communion table. And I won't mention any denominations, but some have corrupted this thing dramatically. His ministers proclaim his own gospel. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 to 8 says that Paul says if, there, if someone comes to you, even an angel of light with a gospel contrary to that which we have believed, don't believe it. Satan, ha- Satan takes the gospel, he changes it to his own. Satan has his own throne in Revelation chapter 13 verse 2. Satan has his own worshippers in Revelation 13 verse 4. So he has developed very thoroughly an imitation of Christianity. And he presents it as a system of religion. In his role as imitating God, he inspires false Christs, he inspires false messiahs, false teachers, and the like. So he employs false teachers who specialize in his theology. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. These false teachers aren't doing it off their own ability. Do you understand? They are not doing it just out of the blue. They aren't doing it just because, out of, out of whim. He is using them, manipulating them for his purposes. They are his. They are adept at mixing truth and error in such proportions to make the error palatable. Do you know, if you have a coffee and you put just a smidgen of salt in it, you probably won't taste it. Just a smidgen. Okay? But you can put a smidgen of cyanide in a coffee and you won't taste it either. You keep on drinking that coffee, you will eventually die. This is how Satan works. He doesn't throw. He doesn't put three teaspoons of salt in your coffee. He will put just a touch at a time. Just a touch at a time until your palate gets used to the taste. And eventually you're drinking coffee and salt without even realizing it. He sends out, the Bible says, many false prophets. Matthew chapter 24 verse 11 says, And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Many. He didn't say there will be just a few. He said there would be many. So when you look at the world that we're in and you see the confusion in in Christendom and you see all these different denominations and people come and say, oh, how can you believe in God? I mean, look at all this stuff. You know, no one believes the same thing. Everyone reads the Bible differently. But you know something? Jesus predicted it. He said there'll be many false prophets. Many. And they would deceive many. Which means that if that's true, then those who were not deceived are not many, but few. The Bible says the devil also introduces false brethren into the church. And that's where he starts. Galatians chapter 2 verse 4 says, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So how does the devil start to destroy a church that's, that's correct? He brings in false brethren. And those false brethren then start to slowly disseminate false truth and false teaching. And slowly that spreads through the church. And finally, he says he sponsors false apostles who imitate the truth. 2 Corinthians 11.13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So, part of what Satan does is to produce counterfeits of all that is godly. He presents false trinity. He presents false gospel. He has a false church. He has false teachers, pastors, leaders, And he brings all that system together. And as much as he can, where there is a church that is correct, he'll try and influence and infiltrate that church. With false teachings, with false brethren, with false leaders. Satan is in the the job of counterfeits. That's the reason we have so many cults and so many dominations and so much confusion in our world. And that's the reason why so many people have discarded their Bibles and put them to the side. They say to themselves, well, I can't learn this. This is all too hard. I'm going to put my trust in that man who's sitting behind the, that thing over there. I'm not going to learn it for myself because it's too difficult. They told me it's too difficult for me to learn by myself. So I'm going to trust what they teach me or what they tell me. Now tell me, is there not a more dangerous position to be in than to trust a man who's standing behind a pulpit and not put him to the test? And not know yourself, whether he's teaching you lies or whether he's teaching you the truth. Who's the vulnerable one? The one standing here or the the one sitting there? If you're continually fed one garbage and one lie after another, after another, after another, tell me, when will you ever wake up to all the lies that you've been fed? How can you if you don't know what to measure them against? So my challenge to you today is know your Bible. Know your doctrines. Don't be fooled by everything that you hear. There are some beautiful things that you might see on TV. There are some wonderful videos that you might see that sound so rich and so beautiful. But you know something? The devil is not in the business of making ugly things, he makes it all sound so wonderful. He is in the business of counterfeit. A counterfeit looks and feels and sounds as much like the real thing as possible. And we need to be on our guard always. So let's look at a parable that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 13, where he describes the way Satan manipulates in this way and how he tries to destroy the church. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence, whence uh, then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Go ye together, uh, uh, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now jump down to verse 36, because Jesus gives us the interpretation of this uh, parable. Then Jesus said, sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. In this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels... And they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there are a few things that we need to keep in mind over here. Notice that he says in verse 41, and they shall gather out of whose kingdom? Out of his kingdom. Okay? All things that offend and them that do iniquity. So, Jesus gives us this interpretation and he basically says that he is the sower of the seed. The term son of man Jesus loved to use for himself. So, he is the sower of the seed. But the seed isn't the word of God. The seed isn't something else. The seed are actually people. Okay? You'll notice that the seed are the children of the kingdom. His children. Okay? But the tears are the children of the devil. So there are children of the kingdom and children of the devil. Okay, who have been sown in the midst of the children of the kingdom. The implication here, what Jesus is teaching, is that Satan seeks to mix his children in the midst of the children of God. They look very much like them. They sound like them. They say all. They say and do the things that the children of God do. And it's interesting in this particular passage that it's only when the fruit comes out do they actually recognise and say, hang on, something's wrong over here. They start realising there's something wrong. When the fruit of the wheat starts, starts to come out and the tears along with them not producing that fruit, his household is saying, on, something's wrong here. Do we actually... Get rid of them now or do we... And he goes, no, 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 just hold on. Just let them go until the end. The difference between the children of God or the children of light and the children of the devil is the fruit that you produce. The children of the devil will not produce the fruit in their life and will become evident to themselves and to others around them. The children of light will produce the fruit, fruit that lasts. The devil has imitation Christians planted in every field that the Lord plants. Now that specifically means the church. Because the church is where the wheat comes together. It wouldn't make any, it wouldn't make any sense if it was just um, the world that we live in. Because the world we live in has one person living down there who don't affect each other. In this particular place, this particular field that this master um, planted his field... The, the enemy came and sowed the tares the, the in the middle of those. Now, why would Satan plant his children in the midst of the church? What motives does he have? What is he trying to achieve by doing this? Well, as we've mentioned before, if he is the enemy and Jesus declares he is the enemy, who goes and does it by night and then it, then it says he goes off. Okay, um, he is trying to do the opposite of what Christ is doing. Okay, so the enemy will resist what the Lord is trying to do, and what is Jesus doing now? The Bible says he is building his church. Matthew sixteen verse eighteen says, "And I say unto thee that thou art Peter." You know when Peter declared that Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus says to him, "My Father has declared this to you; has, has given you this information." And he says, and he responds to him and says, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter declared that truth upon which the foundation of the church was to be built, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, On that rock I'm going to build this church. Who's building the church? Is it me? Is it you? We don't build the church. You know who builds the church? It's him. He builds his church. okay. And he declares it here. I will build my church. So it's his responsibility. So if Christ is building his church, then Satan is in the responsibility of destroying his church. But the good news is, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Even though Satan tries every trick in the book to try to infiltrate it, destroy it, The church of the living God cannot be destroyed. So the devil tries to destroy the church by creating a counterfeit Christianity with counterfeit Christians. By sowing the tears among the weak Satan seeks to degrade the church and destroy the testimony of the church in the world. Has he done that to a good extent? Yes. He's done that very well. His aim is to create confusion, is to create conflict and to keep people in bondage. And the devil was already doing this in Jesus' day. Before the church even began at Pentecost, the religious leaders and shepherds of Israel were not who they were supposed to be. Instead of being the true shepherds that God had put in, in, in those positions to, to feed and to protect his people, they were the children, literally the children of the devil in what they were doing, and they were revealing it by what they were doing. And Jesus describes this in John chapter 8, verse 39. Come with me to that passage and see what he says there. John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered and said unto him... These are the Pharisees, okay? They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham... Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not. Because ye are not of God. So Jesus plainly tells them, and he doesn't mint his words. He doesn't, he doesn't wrap them up in a nice wrapping and say, Oh guys, are you sure you, you, know, you got it right over here? You, you might have something wrong. He tells them, no, you're not listening to what I'm saying because your father is the devil. You're doing his work. You're listening to his lies and you've believed his lies. So therefore, you can't hear what I'm telling you. I can talk all day and it's not going to sink into you because your foundation is satanic. He said this to the religious leaders. He said this to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the people that the, the, the actual people in, in positions of authority that the rest of the people looked up to and had to learn from. These are the people that were teaching their people every week in church. What Jesus was clearly saying is that there were religious leaders who should have known better, but they didn't because they were the children of Satan. And they could not accept Jesus' words because they'd already accepted Satan's words. They were his children. The difference was in the fruit. When they said they were Abraham's children or God's children, Jesus says, how can you be Abraham's children? Abraham's children wouldn't go around trying to kill someone who's simply telling them the truth. The fruit of the children of God, as Jesus declares, do the works of their father. In the case of the Jews, the genuine Jews, they would do the works of Abraham. The children of God do the works of God. Unfortunately, the children of the devil who have been planted within churches and especially in leadership positions in churches exhibit the characteristics of their father, the devil. They seek to kill, to murder, they lie and they can't hear the word of God. At the lowest level, the people that Satan uses to infiltrate churches occupy congregations around the world pretending to be Christians. They are in the church. They may do certain things that Christians do. They may look like Christians on the outside, but they aren't there for God. They have no relationship with God, and they're there for other reasons. They're there for themselves. There are many good reasons to be in church. Plenty of good reasons I can think of. Now, in our society, there are people who are desperate to be loved. Desperate for acceptance. Desperate to want to feel good about themselves. Desperate to be accepted by other people because they don't fit in. Guess where's a fantastic place to be accepted? To feel good about yourself. Because you're doing something good. I can't think of a better place than church. Church is a place where you can go, you can form wonderful friendships. You know, there are people, really nice people in church. Huh? Really nice people. And you can get to know them, you can become part of that fellowship, you can do good things, you can, you can help out, you can, you know, and you go away out of this place and you can feel wonderful about coming here. Absolutely wonderful. And you can keep this thing going for days and weeks and months and years, all the while missing up the major point that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all this is for nothing. For nothing. The devil will try to keep you blinded as long as he possibly can from understanding the truth that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Saviour, if you have not come to Him and asked Him to forgive you of your sins and accepted that sacrifice that He's made for you, if you haven't put your trust in Him today, then coming to church will not save you. Coming to church as wonderful as it may make you feel is useless. You might argue... Oh, but isn't it better that they're in church than out of the church? Of course. But what's the purpose of being in church? Isn't it to hear the word of God and to do it? Now, I'm not saying that any of you are plants by Satan. Not one of you. What I am saying is that there are plenty of them around. We need to be careful that we're not in that position or near that position or close to that position. People who who are in church, and I believe that there are a vast majority of them, who are either in church because their tradition has told them to do it, they do it because they don't want to disappoint their family members or to, or to make themselves look like they're bad in front of other people, so they continue the thing along. People, no one wants to be criticised, do they? Understand, the heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible tells us. Our own hearts are deceitful above all things. There are many Christians, I am sure, there are many people, I am sure, who are in church, not because God wants them there, not because it's the right thing to do, not because they long to worship God and to learn more from his word, but they're there for other reasons. Whether it's guilt or whether it's pride, whether it's the position that you've had and you can't back down from it now, otherwise what people will say about you, if you're pleasing yourself or anyone else apart from God, you're not here for the right reason. You may be wasting your time. Church was not created to be a benefit to you. That's not the purpose of it. The benefits are the side, the side things that come from it. Okay? The purpose of being in church is to worship God. Is to learn more about Him. Is to grow and to encourage one another and to serve. So if you're in church to be served. If you're in church because you, you love hearing these wonderful messages week after week. But nothing is happening in your heart when you leave this place. And please, please. Examine your own heart. Examine yourself to see whether you are actually in the faith or whether the devil has you blinded. You need to be born again. You need to have a relationship with the Lord and ritual and ceremony, the things that we do in church, will not save you in the least. You can have the Lord's table every second week. You can come behind here and do whatever you want. You can stand behind this thing over here. It won't save you. The only thing that will save you is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that will save you. So if you have a relationship with him today, cling to that relationship. Nurture it. If you don't, be truthful with yourself. Because you may be in a very precarious position. At the higher levels in church, So it's not the congregation, but the higher levels. There are people who manipulate other people. There are people who are very adept at speaking and convincing people to do things the way they like it. And people flock to them. Have you noticed how people chase after people? Have you noticed how people become popular on TV? And and people gravitate to certain people who they want to be like. Well, I'll give you another warning. And maybe none of you are like this, but don't ever look at me and follow me. If you're here for me, please, I'm a man. I have my own faults and flaws and I have my own struggles in my life. If you think that I'm the be all and end all of what you need to be as a Christian, please, You know, there may be certain things in me that are are nice and that are pleasant, that are strong, and I, I encourage you for those things to imitate, but don't come here for me. At the higher levels, people are adept at manipulating other people. They plan and they scheme and they gain power, and in many cases in modern churches, they become rich these days through these positions. They seek fame and fortune. They love, as the Pharisees used to do, the upper seats, the places of prominence. You know, the fame. They love people looking up to them. That is a temptation for people who are leaders in churches. The power goes to their heads. In Jesus' day, he described them as wolves in sheep's clothing, parading around as holy men. But deep down, he said they were whitewashed tombs. Do you know what a whitewashed tomb is? A tomb is where you put a dead body and they paint it white to make it look bright and cheerful. And now these same ones who were calling themselves leaders and religious and followers of God, children of Abraham, children of God, were trying to kill Jesus. Why? Because he was threatening their hold on power. He was threatening all the work they would put into this thing to get themselves into these beautiful positions. They were making money. Everyone looked up to them. They could go and tell the people what they were supposed to do. They loved their positions. And here's Jesus saying, you are children of the devil. So what's the first thing that comes into their mind? We've got to get rid of this guy. There's a. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and it says, "From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. That's not an encouragement to Christians to be aggressive. That's a, that's a, that's a matter of fact, it's a statement saying that there are people in within the kingdom of God who are violently taking leadership and violently taking control." It happened when the church became the Roman Catholic Church. A Long time ago. And this is a very common theme in Jesus' teachings. He warned people over and over again about false religious leaders. Don't trust them. If they're telling you the truth, do what they say, but don't do what they do. And he warns people about them over and over again. And he doesn't mince words when he tells the people themselves. When he had, when he had thousands of people following him, he didn't, he didn't uh, try and encourage them. Oh, you're wonderful that you're all here today. You know something he said to them? I know why most of you are here today. You're here because you got a free feed last time I fed 4,000 of you with a, with, with a few loaves and a few fishes. You're here for another feed. He told them that very plainly. So he didn't care about, you know, um, stroking their egos, making them feel special. He said the truth and he said it clearly. You're not here for the truth. You're here for a free feed. You're here for some other reason. Now, what what they did with that was their business after. I'm assuming some of them would have been offended and would have gone away. Maybe it hit too close to home. But he warned them about the reasons they were there. So, the common theme of Jesus' teachings is that he's warned people over and over again about religious leaders and about people within their own congregations. And the point I'm trying to make here is that Satan plants many of these people to keep others confused and the church busy with problems and doctrine. There is an interesting uh, situation that's happening within the Anglican Church. I'm not sure if most of you have read it or read about it recently. There is an almighty um, uh, struggle going on within the Anglican Confession. Now, the Anglicans are about 90 million at the moment. It's not a bad number. 89 million, I think it is altogether. And they're spread all over the world. And they've got churches all over the world. And each of them operate fairly loosely. It's not the same sort of a hierarchy structure as the Catholic church. They don't control each other as much. But they got together recently for a very important reason. Because the Americans have decided to ordain gay priests and bishops. The Canadians have agreed with it. The Europeans are starting to follow suit. So the Africans got upset with this whole thing. The Asians got upset with this whole thing. The South Americans got upset with this whole thing and say, we want a meeting here. How can we be part of the same fellowship when these guys over in the States are starting to do something that is contrary to the word of God? Ten marks for that. So they got together and they were expecting a split in the the Anglican Church. Okay, They were expecting a split. But what they did, they didn't split. They confirmed that marriage is between, a biblical marriage is what they would continue to uphold and that there was between a man and a woman, and it was for a lifetime, and that gay priests were not to be accepted. So what they did is they rebuked the American church, and they've they've put them under sanction for the next three years. They can't vote. They can't do anything. They can't influence anyone else in this thing. Ten points. Strange, to be honest with you, that they would stand that firmly because we don't see that sort of stance coming very often. But this is the problem, is that the devil tries yesterday to get something through. It doesn't happen. So he'll keep on influencing and influencing and influencing and and trying to manage people and get people changed and then he'll try again. And then he'll try again and again and again. Until he eventually gets that that error in as a a main thing. Do you understand how he works? Today we're about to, Australia will probably take a vote in the coming year about whether to recognise gay marriage here in Australia. Now I'm telling you something, 20 years ago that would not have happened because the numbers would have not been there. So what's happened between 20 years ago and now? What's happened do you reckon? Because we've heard so much through the media and through people that are engineering this whole thing, trying to change people's perceptions about the whole thing all the way through, that they eventually now think they've got the numbers. So they keep on plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, until they get what they want. This is how the devil works. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ." And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Okay? No big deal, Paul says. It's not a surprise. If, I, if the devil himself is able to come as an angel of light, then of course the people that he employs are going to come across as people of righteousness. And these people are placed and put there and manipulated by Satan in order to destroy the church from within. They use scripture and they can also manipulate scripture to achieve their purpose. Satan does that as well. They don't look like little devils or wolves or anything like that. They look like apostles and ministers of righteousness. That's Shakespeare. Was Shakespeare a Christian? Unlikely, I think. Anyway, he wrote something interestingly. He said, The devil can cite scripture for his purpose. This is Shakespeare. This is what he wrote in one of, his, uh, one of his plays. The devil can cite scripture for his purpose, an evil soul producing holy witness. He's like a villain with a smiling cheek, a goodly apple rotten at the heart. Oh, what a goodly outside falsehood hath. What a goodly outside falsehood hath. Shakespeare understood that the devil comes wrapped up in a cloak of righteousness the apple looks beautiful on the outside and shiny but when you bite into it it's rotten on the middle I wonder if Shakespeare was aware of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, maybe he was so the devil seeks to counterfeit the church of God and he also keeps track of the children of God he keeps track of you and me you know why he has to keep track of us? It's a bit like a surveillance. You know, we're living in more and more of a surveillance um, uh, society now where every, there are cameras everywhere and people are bugging your phones and doing all sorts of stuff and the government's scared about, you know, terrorists and all this sort of stuff. So they're tracking everything that we do, all right? Well, the devil has his own tracking surveillance for inter- persons of interest, which are you and me. And the reason he has to track us is because... We are the ones causing problems for him. We're the ones sharing the truth. We're the ones holding the line. We are the ones that that resist him to his face. So he has to keep track of us to, to find out who we've spoken to. What have we done recently with people around us? He tries to keep track of us. In fact, I think where he's most active, or where he'll probably seek to be most active, where would would he be most active, what do you reckon? Here. If you think that, that for some spiritual reason, he can't walk through that door, you're mistaken. If you think that he can't send his henchmen to come and listen to what's going on you're mistaken in fact this is the place that he wants to find out what's going on more than anywhere else ever wonder why it's difficult to to keep focused ever wonder why it's distractions that come, come up ever wonder why as soon as you start sitting down in church someone's got to talk to you about something else or as the sermon starts you start, ha- you start getting thoughts about something else that's going on Oh, I left the iron on at home. Oh, I did this, that, or the other. Or, you know, I've got something on today that the food might be burning at home. Or, or have you ever wondered <laughs> Sorry. what yours, your cook, you've, you better go home and turn it off for the oven. If it's <laughs> <laughs> the devil will do anything he can to distract, to disquiet, to discomfort you so that you can't, so that message can't sink in. Yeah, Jesus says it very clearly. Where he says, the the parable of the sower, he says, um, the seed is where the seed was the word of God. And it says, those by the wayside, where the seed fell on the wayside, are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. How do you think he does that? By destruction. Everyone seen that that movie Up? That that kid's. um... There was a dog in that movie. And doesn't matter what he what he did that what he was in the middle of it could have been the most dire situation. He'd be talking, he'd be doing something. That so, it was talking dog, right? So he'd be doing this. All of a sudden, he'd see a, if he saw a squirrel on the from the corner. Of his, he'd go squirrel, and then he'd be distracted for a while. Doesn't matter what was happening, right? And do you know people are a bit like that? You know. Satan knows which button to push to get you going, squirrel, <laughs> and you'll do it. And um, believe me, you'll do it. You need to notice what happens in your own life. That when you're trying to read the word of God, which squirrel are you chasing? What's your squirrel? Do you know what I mean? You'll notice every time you try to read the word of God. Huh? If you're reading it in bed, or if you're reading it if you're reading it late at night. It'd be like, squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> He'll try any which way to get you distracted so you can't, that message can't actually sink into your heart and take root. So just be aware of what he does, how he, how he dis- how it causes you discomfort and distraction, noise and whatever else is happening. He will do that over and over and over again. Okay, So... How do we protect ourselves, to close up the uh, the sermon, how do we protect ourselves from this charade that he plays? Well, for one, make sure today that you are genuinely born again. Don't leave it till tomorrow, don't leave it till the next day because it may never, ever come. And tomorrow, to be honest with you, never comes. That's why you have to live today. Do today what you have to do today and let tomorrow take care of itself. If you wait for tomorrow, it will never come. Please, if you're not sure that you are born again, if you don't have a relationship... Now, when I say relationship, don't take that word very lightly. Take it genuinely. Do you have a relationship with someone else? Do you have a relationship with your father, your mother, your children, your husband, your wife, or a friend? Do you have a relationship? Do you know what a relationship is? Do you really know what a relationship is? Well, that's what you should have with God. Nothing less. That relationship should be growing, thriving. You will go through times that you're, you're really close to him, times that you're maybe a bit more distant from him, but that is a dynamic relationship because any relationship is. Please, don't assume because you like coming to church. Don't assume because you may read your Bible and, and, and pray the occasional prayer that you have a relationship with God. I know plenty of people who pray the Our Father, Hail Mary, and all these things. They go to church every week. They give money to the poor. They do all these wonderful things thinking they have a relationship with God and they have no relationship with God. Please, don't fall in that same trap, okay? It's the relationship with God. It's your salvation. And your it's whether you've put your faith and trust in Christ, whether He's the object of your faith. That will determine whether you're saved or not. And if you are saved, point two, if you are saved, read your Bible. Keep everyone that you listen to accountable to that truth. Use it as your guide, as your signpost, as the path that you have to take. But don't just read it, please. Don't just read it without understanding it. Because it's another trick of the devil. That you can read and read and read and not understand anything you're reading and somehow... Somehow something's gonna magically happen to you. You need to understand it. Read it to understand it. And if you don't understand it, study it. Spend your time studying. The Bible says to show yourself approved. Okay? A worker for the Lord is simply that a worker. Do you know what a worker? What people are called workers? Because they work. Because what they've learnt, they're put into practice. What they've learned in the word, they put to work in their lives. Do you get that? What you've learned in the word, you put to work in your lives. If you're learning and learning and learning, you may be the greatest theologian on this planet. You may know every doctrine and every theology. You may have everything worked out on how the Bible fits together. But I'll tell you something, you may not be saved. Just because you know it in here, doesn't mean that you're actually saved. A worker who's approved by God has learnt the Word and puts that Word to work in their lives. It's the knowledge of the truth that changes you from the inside. It's pointless being puffed up with all the knowledge of the world and the Scriptures, like the Pharisees were, but they didn't put it to use in their lives. James tells us, Be doers of the Word. In one chapter chapter 1, verse 22. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in the glass, or like a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth away, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein. Which means to live it. Not just to know it, but to live it. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This is what we're called to. Point three, if you're saved and have a genuine relationship with the Lord and you're reading your Bible and you're learning through it and you're putting it into practice, um, doing what it says, like praying without ceasing, loving the brethren, being faithful, serving the Lord, then you must resist the devil. Understand you have an adversary who's coming against you Learn what he does and learn to resist him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Be on the alert. Don't be slack. This is a war that we are in the middle of. If you go to sleep in the middle of a war, you know what's going to happen to you? Resist the devil. And finally, and the most important part of the whole thing, if you're born again, if you are in the word of God and you're you're following it with all your heart, you are resisting the devil, remember to never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus cares for you. Yes, we may be in the middle of a war. Yes, the devil may be against us. Yes, there may be a lot of confusion around and there may be multiple doors in front of you today that look good and you don't know which door to go through. Remember, in the midst of all that, Jesus cares for you. Never think that you are alone. Never think that Jesus has left you. Never, ever believe because that's what the devil would want you to believe. Jesus wants the very best for you. In every possible way, he loves you and me more than we can ever understand. More. If you understand what love is today, if the the greatest example of love that you have is a love that you have or have experienced from your parents or from your spouse or the love that you have for your own children, please think of that love. Now multiply it by a thousand. And that's how much Jesus cares for you and me. He wants the best for us. The Bible says that we should cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. So today, do you have problems? Has the devil got you in a situation where you don't know how you're going to get out? Are you struggling today with your own walk? Then cast all your cares upon him because you know he cares for you. There is nothing that can come against you that can defeat you. When you have... The one who loves you, who is the greatest power in this universe and out of this universe, on your side. Remember, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come, but they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. Do you have abundant life today in him? If you don't, then know this. It's available to you. You just have to ask. God bless you. Thank you.